What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on all of the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in president-select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. As usual, every Friday, we are joined by Joe House. We're going to break down some games this weekend, hear some of his bets, critique, criticize, pat him on the back, slap his ass. Who knows what's going to happen here because I don't even know what he's got on his card yet. But House, it's been a while. The last time we talked, it was before Thanksgiving. You shipped over a bunch of pies. I'm a few pounds heavier, but hey, good carbs. Put a smile on your face. Work it off later is my take on that one. You know all about carbs, my friend. How are you doing? I'm I'm fantastic. We covered all the Fs. We had four Fs through the Thanksgiving holiday, as you would expect, Sharpie. It was friends. It was family. It was football. It was food. I wanted to sneak in a little G. I would have loved to got to catch a round of golf in there, but it just couldn't couldn't fit it all in because the the card the dance card was so full with with all the Fs. It was wonderful. Uh, and I'm very happy for that Thanksgiving weekend to put the capper on November because November on balance was an unkind month to those of us on the square side of the betting ledger. Uh, not that surprising in the sense that people were cashing big public favorites in October and especially, you know, Dallas, America loved Dallas. And then we caught this raft of upsets in November. The books always come out ahead. The books never end up behind. Even with, you know, the continuing trend of underdogs, now 178 and one against the spread, still on record pace since 1980. We still have, we, we had in November some, you know, shocking upsets, right? Uh, Jacksonville over the Bills that really, 
set the stage. We had the Titans um, beating the Rams in prime time. We had the 49ers beating the Rams in prime time. And then the Dolphins on the Thursday night before Thanksgiving. And the books just said, thank you very much, public. Uh, we will gladly take your money. Here we are now in December. And I'm hoping for a little bit of, of turn of fortune for all of us on the square side. Yeah, um, I hope you don't, because as I'm betting mostly on the sharp side, I want to keep this train rolling. I don't know how long these doggies are going to keep covering. I don't know how long these games are going to continue to go under house, but um, it's it's been a pretty good betting season, and we're winding into the tail end. I actually had a text with a GM complaining about some things and 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 some of the public some of the critique that they were heaping on his team and I and he made the comment to me he said it's okay the season doesn't start until after Thanksgiving and that's really true and there are a lot of teams in the mix house and so that's what's going to make this very interesting to watch is down the stretch here watching for these teams to make their pushes into playoff contention and playoff seeding. It's going to be a lot of fun over the next few weeks. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I, I want to thank you. You urged me to jump on the hard knocks covering the Colts, this midseason hard knocks. Yep. And I found it absolutely riveting. Yeah. And I'm now like such a firm Colts believer. I've always been an admirer of the Colts and sometimes they've hurt my feelings. Like, at the beginning of last season, the Colts lost to Jacksonville. The only win that Jacksonville had the entire NFL season was against the Colts in week one yeah, of the crazy. 2020 season. Um, but, you know, we, we take the, the long view. We take the big picture view when it comes to situations like that. The Colts organization was is something that, you know, deserves our our, our admiration. And the, these insights that we're getting. So you just talked about um, something that resonated Frank Reich to his team saying, look, every single week now, we need to be 1-0. and And this is the time. Good teams win in November and December. That's how they position themselves for the playoff run. And I'm a, such a firm Colts believer watching that, that organization. The only thing that is upsetting at all about the Colts continues to be Carson Wentz. I don't think they're going to be over to be able to overcome what what uh, the challenges that he poses to them. He was, in my estimation, my humble opinion, single handedly responsible for them losing to um, Tampa. But they were right there with Tampa all week, and they're one of the teams that we will talk about during the show today. That is the Indianapolis Colts because they're favored by ten, I believe, at Houston. And I, if it was if it was seventeen, I would play it. If it was 20, I would play it. I really love the Colts now. Yeah, well, uh, talking to a sports book uh, guy that has some good information and sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong. He's usually, he's he's above average with his hit rate on the stuff that he mentions. He really does love the Indianapolis Colts this week. So I think that game is going to be really fun to watch. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for Frank Reich to give, what's the name of the, the the singer house where there's a famous black and white picture? He's with the guitar and he's holding up the middle finger. I think he's doing that at the prism, the Folsom. So, wh- oh, well, I mean, Johnny Cash is Folsom yeah. prison. Johnny yeah, Cash, wasn't he, Johnny he's Cash. got the he's got the middle finger up. That's what Frank Reich can do. He can do the meme of Johnny Cash holding up the middle finger 
to all the people in the Colts area criticizing his play calling and not running the ball enough and all that. Like, this is a great opportunity. Just wash that, rinse it out of the system, get right there, thump the Houston Texans. We'll see if it happens. But- I love this. You know what? That's the meme. Um, let's tell the producer, Mike Wargon, Mike, the, the, the Indianapolis Colts, let's just say it right now, they're my best bet of the week. They're the house lock of the week. And I'd love it if we can get a meme. Let's, I mean, let's get a picture. Let's superimpose Frank Reich on the Johnny Cash body there. That's it, man. That's the lock. That's that's how we're getting down <laughs> in December. We're kicking this week off that way with, with you know, just rolling on through. Uh, speaking of rolling through, a couple quick notes on the trends that we've been tracking. Um, road dogs under a touchdown. Over the last couple of weeks, we didn't check in on this during the Thanksgiving broadcast. Only three and five against the spread, and that's because they were one and three against the spread last week. The Jets covered last week and won outright, but uh, the Steelers, Vikings, and Browns were all road dogs under a touchdown, and they all lost by uh, a decent amount. Um, Browns, I guess, was the closest game because uh, Lamar threw seven interceptions in eight possessions, but uh, yeah, that's hyperbole. Obviously, the other thing we look at are road dogs coming off of a win of six or more points. In the the two previous weeks, they went two and one. And that number is such a good number. It's twenty and five against the spread, sixteen and nine straight up. And there are two candidates that fit that little paradigm this week. It's the Denver Broncos plus nine and a half, and the New England Patriots plus two and a half. We're going to hit on both of those games. I want to make sure though that I set you up to talk about the Broncos situation. They're facing the Chiefs off of a bye week. And you and I and you and Solak and you and Verno have been talking this entire season about the weird variants we've been seeing in teams coming off of bye weeks. So Kansas City and Arizona are coming off of bye weeks this week uh, 13. What what have you been seeing? Um, It feels very sort of irregular and out of step and out of order with our expectations for bye weeks this year. Yeah. So over the last 30 years, teams coming off of a bye week have hit right around 52.8%. Now you need to beat 52.4%, technically it's 52.38% on minus 110 to actually start generating a profit. So the bottom line is teams coming off of a bye up until the last couple of years had been slightly profitable. Obviously, nobody's going to just blanket bet these things, uh, but some years have shown pretty solid um, profit from an ATS perspective. Uh, Let me pull up here a few of them. We've got, uh, well, let me just do it in year order. Like, uh, for example, 2016 hit 61.3%, and the year before that in 2015 hit 59.4%. I mean, those are times when you're generating good profit just betting those things. But so far this season, we mentioned it on the Wednesday show, teams that are coming off of a buy are only covering 36% of their games this season. That is actually the worst season in the last 30 years. Additionally, These games have been going under the total at a substantial rate. Only 27%, only six of of 22 games have gone over the total. 16 have gone under the total. That is the largest rate to unders in the last 30 years as well. So we are seeing a spike this year in these teams performing the worst ATS and these games going under at the 
largest rates for both in the last 30 years. Um, and in the last three years, we have seen teams coming off of a buy struggle specifically. We saw them go 40.6% ATS in 2019, 46.9% ATS in 2020, and now 36.4% so far this season. So it is something to be aware of. I mean, you've got these teams, the CBA is there, teams coming off of a buy. Uh, they they can't do the same things at the facility. Now, the CBA wasn't instituted just three years ago, but Teams are not able to work with the players quite as closely and do the types of things that they were able to do back in the day, so to speak. And now you've got the COVID protocols. And now, like last year, players couldn't really travel. This year, if they're vaccinated, they can travel. I think if they're not vaccinated, they can't travel. There's a whole variety of different things that, that happens. But it's definitely something to be aware of if you're trying to bet on a team that's coming off of a buy so far, hasn't been great this year and has not been great over the last three years either. So we're going to have a great conversation when we get to my horny dog of the week, because, you know, in, in in honor of Urban Meyer, the horniest dog in the NFL, uh, we try and pick one a week. I love this Denver Broncos, Kansas City Chiefs opportunity, value opportunity in the context of this bye week overlay, because there is, you know, this uh, sense, this sentiment, and it's borne out by some data that Andy Andy Reid coming off the bye week is marvelous. But let's save that conversation, that uh, immovable force versus unstoppable. I'm I'm uh, I'm I already messed it up. Unstop immovable object, unstoppable force. Yes, yes, I got it. There we go. We're gonna save that for the horny dog uh, discussion. We have a very horny game that we have to wait all the way until Monday night for as the top of card. Uh, football game. Now, this is not just a battle between two teams for the their division. It is potentially, you know, laying down an advantage, a marker for the outright number one seed in the AFC, and that is Buffalo laying two and a half at home against New England. The total, I think, it's around forty three. I don't. It's been dropping, dropping, dropping because it's it's lower God. than that now. Yeah, it's forty two and a half now. It depends. Where you're at, there are some books that are sitting at 42. That's just because the weather, right? This weather forecast for for Buffalo Monday night has gusty winds. It has precipitation. Uh, and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff about the advantage that Buffalo w- might enjoy in the context of, the, of that weather. But let, let's start with sort of just breaking this game down a little bit. I, I was fascinated by the conversation you and Solak had on both sides of the ball. One thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on and hear a little bit more on was the potential for the Bills to create pressure on Mac Jones. Because the thing, this is not uh, uh, extraordinary that Mac Jones is not as good against pressure as he is um, you know, when he's, when he's comfortable. That basic proposition is not a, a big revelation. But he has not, during this this streak of success that the Patriots have enjoyed, gone up against teams that are capable of bringing pressure. And the Bills are a team that does have that ability, notwithstanding the tragic loss. Tragic is overstating it. But Tredavious White, the injury to to, the season-ending injury to Tredavious White is is, is a bummer for the Bills. 
But I, I am interested in, in the Bills. That, that Jones has only played three other teams in top 10 in, in pressure rate, Tampa, Dallas, and Miami. And in those games, he has been an, a below-average quarterback, a below-average performer. So what, what do you think about the Bills' ability to create some pressure on Mac Jones and make him feel uncomfortable? Well, first and foremost, they're going to need, in order to do that, you're going to need to slow the Patriots down on early downs. You're going to need to stop the run because I do believe that in this spot on the road with some wins, Bill Belichick is not going to come out here and have Mac Jones throw the ball around the field. My estimation is that this is going to be a run-centric game plan that has Mac Jones throwing on occasion to change things up out of heavy personnel sets, utilizing some play action and on third downs. I don't think this is going to be come out, throw the ball on first down type of a, of a game plan. I think that they're going to try to test this Buffalo Bills run defense, which ranks fourth overall, but has played the fourth easiest schedule of opposing run offenses. So, you know, how, how good is this run defense truly going to be? Solak believes that that defensive line, while they do get Star Latulade back, that they are undersized overall and that they could be run on by a very physical upfront style that the Patriots rushing attack might bring. Um, but to your point, on these third downs, it is going to be vital that the Buffalo Bills, who obviously invested a lot in pass rush and basically spent the offseason trying to figure out a way to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, utilize some of the things that they've learned and the players they brought in to impact negatively Mac Jones and this passing attack. Because if they can't get that pressure on those critical situations, you are going to be more exposed without Tredavious White. He is, I don't want to say nearly irreplaceable, but he creates a massive void in that secondary and will allow you to pick on the replacement and then kind of what happens on the other side of the field as well, because teams then had to target that other side of the field more often to avoid Tredavious White. Now that he's not out there, um, you can target not only his backup, but then the whole secondary like is kind of making up for that. And one of the things that I believe the Patriots do really well, some teams have this star wide receiver, key number one, and you feel like you're funneling a lot of targets to him. And so if you had Troy Davies White matching up against him to try to minimize that, then you know you either are attacking the number one corner or you're spreading the ball out to like lesser receiving weapons that haven't had a lot of targets on the season. The Patriots are pretty much attacking whoever's open. They're dialing up passing uh, targets to a variety of different players. There's no one guy who's receiving a ton of the workload. It's spreading it out and looking at matchups and opportunities. And I think that that is going to benefit the Patriots because they're less predictable when they do throw the football as to who they're throwing it to and when they're targeting that player. So um, it is going to be a tough matchup. Ben brought up the good point, which is Mac Jones's arm in this type of weather conditions, which let's just go ahead, House, and cut to the chase. Current forecast as of Friday afternoon that I am seeing, we may get some lake effect snow, mm. but it's the snow that I'm seeing that's most likely to fall will be between 4 and 6 p.m. Uh -huh. After that, the chance of precipitation drops off precipitously, uh, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. And the wind, though, we are seeing right now 
20 to 25 mile per hour winds with gusts in the mid to upper 30s. And that obviously is going to wreak havoc on field goal attempts, uh, on the overall passing attack here as well, especially the stuff deeper down the field. The stuff underneath, you could still manage that in this type of wind, but anything beyond like 15 to 20 yards becomes very dicey um, depending upon the gusts and how much these sustained winds are impacting the game. And, you know, Buffalo, there are also some stadiums house that are built better to withstand higher winds in terms of like how much of that wind actually gets down through the bowl and onto the field. Uh, Buffalo is not. Buffalo, the height of the seating and the upper rim of the stadium is not tremendously high. And a lot of this wind does end up getting down to field level. So I, I wonder also about not just Mac Jones as a rookie quarterback, but Mac Jones as a as an SEC child, right? H- how many times in his football career has he played football in weather like this? I, and and you know they haven't really had any of those kind of um, nor'easters up in uh, New England yet. Uh, there was one game. Um, the Tampa game where they had, you know, wind, wind and rain, but I think it's a different flavor when you add in the cold, uh, that the Buffalo, what, what's the temperature that they're calling for up there? Yeah, that's important as well. Uh, the temperature is projected to be 32 degrees and it's going to feel like 19 to 20 degrees with the wind. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like... Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. So we don't have like a great uh, database that reflects Mac Jones throwing the football in 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 those frigid conditions with winds like that because it doesn't exist. I don't think he has a lot of experience at that. Um, so that might be a reason if you want to, you know, look for for how to slice this up to 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 take the Bills. The other side that I'm wondering about, and this is um, something where you posed the question to Solak on, you know, what might Buffalo do to optimize its uh, offensive possessions. And Solak, <laughs> it was funny, uh, said he didn't really care about these bad weather conditions and their potential impacts on Josh Allen because he's the one quarterback who's strong enough to throw the ball in basically any any condition. Solak is a believer in Josh Allen arm strength. The one thing I wondered about, I, I saved for, the, for today is, what about the Josh Allen running game. We haven't really seen it this season. And I halfway wonder if that's been deliberate. Like the bills have been sitting on this waiting until December, waiting until these games against Patriots. And I was especially thinking about it, watching last night's game of between Dallas and, and the New Orleans saints. The only way New Orleans really was able to move the ball was Taysom Hill, you know, on, on design runs or, or and scrambles in the backfield. And I was like, you know what? You, Josh Allen runs the ball pretty goddamn good. I wonder if we're going to see that come come Monday night. What do you think about that as a strategy for the Bills? So they really haven't. I don't believe that they have 
sat on this intentionally to try to save it for a certain time of year. What Buffalo has tried to do is develop this offseason some other elements to their game to make it be less one-dimensional. They were far too 11 to 10 personnel, three to four wide receivers out there, and we're passing the ball the vast majority of the time, and we're not really running with our backs much. They want to be a little bit more dynamic this year, clearly. They're trying to get a little bit more heavier personnel groupings mixed in on occasion. They're trying to see if they can run the football with their backs. And these things are great to test out and see what you can and can't do during the course of the season. And you, you've marched to seven wins in your first 11 games. Obviously, that's not what they were hoping to, to have. They were hoping to go 11 and 0, 10 and 1. Um, but the reality is the time for testing things is come and gone. This is the time to actually win these games down the stretch. The season starts after Thanksgiving and they're in a just a, a blood feud here with this New England Patriots team this season. New England actually is higher than them in the AFC East right now. And Buffalo has to win this game. They have to win this game. They play the Patriots again week 16 in Foxborough. After this game, they go from the frigid, frigid uh, Orchard Park up in upstate New York down to Tampa Bay to take on the Bucks next week. I mean, th that's not going to be an easy test whatsoever. You can't afford to drop other games along the way. And those are the three biggest games that you have. Home against the Patriots this week, road against the Bucks next week, and road against the Patriots in week 16. This is a must-win game. In terms of Josh Allen running the football, I've, dig I've dug into this a bit. And on the season... He isn't worse running the football than he was last year, and he's actually on early downs, ran it at approximately the same rate as he did last season. But he's had lesser production when he's scrambled with the football because of pressures or because of coverage when his players are being covered. Uh, SIS charts this stuff based on three situations for scrambles. Are you scrambling because you were pressured? Are you scrambling because all your players were covered that you're trying to throw the football to? Or are you scrambling because a run lane has opened up and you can go through uh, defenders and you're just taking off with the football because there's an open run lane? Josh Allen is just as good this year as he was last year if a run lane opens up and he just takes it. But he is worse this year when he's holding the ball in the pocket, moving around, and nobody's open and he tries to run. Or he's holding the ball in the pocket and then he gets pressured and he tries to run. Significantly worse this year than he was last year in those instances. And so what might be beneficial against a team like the Patriots, particularly when downfield deeper passing stuff, the 15 to 20, 25 yard shots are not going to be there due to weather as well as something I'll share momentarily, which is the strength of the Patriots defense. I would actually encourage him if a run lane opens up, just fucking take it. Like, yeah. look, get your first read, move to your second. If that's not there, you know why, House? He's averaging 10 yards per carry over the last three years when he just scrambles because a run lane opens up. 
And in those, he's a big horse. And and so, what are you? What's the upside for a passing play? Like a decent passing play, you're talking like eight and a half to nine yards per attempt on average. That's a, that's like a good passing play over the course of a season. Over the course of three seasons, he's ten yards per carry when in, a run lane opens up and he takes off. Like in this game, a must-win game. That's absolutely what I would be encouraging. Now, I mentioned something with regard to the deeper passing and. Uh, why the weather could impact that. But there's another element that could impact it as well, and that's the strength of the Patriots' defense. And the Patriots' defense is actually incredible defending deeper passes on the season, but they are much worse defending passes thrown within 10 air yards. On passes thrown within 10 air yards from an EPA per attempt on early downs the first three quarters of games, which is what I look at, and that's now becoming a little bit more accepted in the uh, analytics community. I see more and more people start copying that uh, where where I'm stripping out fourth quarters and I'm stripping out third downs. Um, the Patriots' defense passes thrown within 10 air yards, 27th on the season. But on passes thrown just beyond that, from 11 to 20 air yards, so like that next window, they are the number one defense in the NFL. So you don't want to be targeting these pass routes that take longer to develop anyways that are from 11 to 20 yards down the field and you're trying to throw the ball over the top. You want to be throwing it underneath. Now, I'm not saying screen passes, dump offs, passes that only go one to two yards. It's okay, seven, eight yards, that's fine. We're just not wanting to throw the ball deeper down the field and it plays to the weather. So that's what... That's what uh, Dayball and Josh Allen need to be targeting anyways. And then if the, the first read or two is taken and there's a run lane, go ahead and take that run lane. Do Be very decisive with what you're trying to do uh, on the ground. The other thing, House, that needs to be mentioned when we're talking about the Bills' offense here is they're getting back right guard John Feliciano and right tackle Spencer Brown. And if you're not familiar with the Bills, I know this is like Solak, Obviously, you're not going to educate him on any of this stuff. But for the people out there that are listening that aren't as familiar with who these guys are for the Bills, John Feliciano has been nearly irreplaceable at right guard for the Bills. He does great work in helping identify who's blitzing and helping set up protection schemes. And he's been missing for weeks now. Spencer Brown was their third round right tackle that they drafted this year's draft. And he has been starting since week four, but he has missed four games. Uh, he missed two, and then he came back for one, and then he's missed two uh, being put on the COVID list. Without John Feliciano, sorry, with John Feliciano over the last two years, Buffalo is 12 and three, scoring 34 points per game. Without him, they are eight and four, scoring only 25 points per game. The number of games that they've scored less than 24 points when John Feliciano has been there is only one out of 15 games. Wow. The number of games they've scored under 24 points when he's been missing, five of 12 games. Spencer Brown, only this season, like I said, he started in week four. They're three and one with him, two and two without him. They're averaging 38.5 points per game with him, only 19.5 points per game without him. They scored over 24, they scored games under 24 points, zero. They scored over 24 every single game he's been there, uh, which is four. And the games that he's missed, which is also four, they've scored under 24 twice. So they've been without these guys. The only games that they played next to each other this year 
a 40 to nothing win over the Texans, a 38 to 20 win over the Chiefs, and a 31 to 34 loss to the Titans, which easily could have been a win if Josh Allen actually like gets the uh, quarterback sneak, but he slips. In any case, they're still scoring 31 points in that game on the road in Tennessee. But they haven't played together since week six. It's now week 13, and both of these guys are coming back. So one of the biggest things that I'm looking forward to is to see what this offense that hasn't looked very good without these guys over the last several weeks. They've been the least consistent offense. If you look at variance rankings, they're the most variance for any offense in the league. I want to see what they look like with those guys back, but this is a really good Pats defense. That simply hasn't been tested much this year. And that's the other thing. I already went through all the numbers with Solak, but the Patriots and their performance last week to the Titans and how much the Titans moved the ball on these guys driving into the Patriots territory on six of their seven drives when they started at the 25-yard line or better, uh, punting zero times on those seven drives, gaining 40-plus yards on five of the seven drives. I mean, that's a terrible Titans offense that had no wide receivers and no starting caliber running backs. Uh, you know, I, I'm just, there are so many questions with this game, and I cannot wait to watch it to finally try to get some answers here, House. Yeah, it's it's football weather. It is, you know, everything at stake. At stake, it's everything that we want in a December football game. I just wish we didn't have to wait till Monday night, but maybe that'll be a nice capper for the the, the slate. I also wish that it didn't come in this difficult weather because one of the things that just you know, so everybody at home. No, it's like as professional gamblers here, every eight hours, I'm checking the weather forecast for this game. Yeah, I'm trying to stay on top of what's shifting, what's not shifting. It takes up a lot of time to monitor weather situations. This total opened at 45 points. And in combination concert of people looking at these two teams, saying, I don't know what either of these teams are, but both of them have really good defenses. Forget the strength of schedule. Some people don't even look at strength of schedule. They both have really good defenses. Now they're playing each other, maybe an under game here in a critical big time game. And then you factor in weather on top of that, which obviously last Monday, Tuesday, it was a week away, but weather didn't look great at that point in time either. Yeah, I could see why this thing was getting bet down. I truly believe. Yeah. Go ahead. No, that, this is the question. I just was going to ask you, is there any value left in the under? Because that's the only play that I, I would even contemplate on this game. So if you want to beat the market, I think you're going to still be able to get value on this under. I would be surprised. This total across the board sits at 42 and a half. I see on my screen, one book that's at 42, but I also see one book out in Vegas that's at 43. Now, 43 is a very key number. If you can get, if you can get the 43 and you want to go under that, then you're, then you've got a key number that you're also going to beat that closing number, in my opinion. Um, but here's what I'm looking at. If, if you missed going under 45 or 44 or 43, and now it's at 42 and a half, maybe juice to the under, who knows what it is at your book. If you want to get a better number than where it's going to be on Monday at 8 p.m., I rarely will say this house. I think there you will still be able to take the under right now today. And I'm not saying I'm doing that. I'm absolutely not doing that. But I think that when we get to Monday, if this weather forecast stays the same, which it hasn't changed all that much over the last 
three days, four days. It's been pretty consistent. Unless we see a dramatic change. Standalone game Monday night. The public's not coming in here, House, and betting this game under the total on a Tuesday afternoon when the game's Monday of next week. This has been sharp money betting groups that have been coming in doing this and betting the under. Once the public turns on their TV after they lost a bunch of money potentially on a shitty slate of games on Sunday, they're going to cry into their bowl of cereal and they're going (laughs) to drink some coffee and rub the sleep out of their eyes. And then they're going to turn on the TV and start watching SportsCenter. And around like four o'clock, we're going to start getting live reports from the Bills Stadium. And those live reports house are going to contain snow and wind. And we're going to see people on the ground reporting from tables in the in, in Orchard Park or like uh, under tents or canopies, uh, looking at the field behind them and seeing wind blowing and seeing snow falling. And these people from the betting public are going to be betting under 42 and a half and under 42. And it would not shock me whatsoever if... From Sunday at noon, sorry, Monday at noon, if this game was down to 42 by Monday at noon, that we don't go through the 41 by the time this game kicks off and we see a 40 and a half total out there. It would not shock me. And, 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 you know, that's a massive move on a game that opened at 45, but I, I just, you cannot underestimate the line movement that can be gained when people in see a standalone game and there's live shots from that game and there's wind whipping and snow falling. And so that is absolutely what I think we're going to get in the pregame headed into this game, um, unless the forecast changes dramatically. Yeah, well, let me ask this question. Uh, and this will be the parting shot for this game because we've given it far too much airtime. Although it is I don't, the best I, game yeah, I, I, I'm fine with giving this a lot of, of airtime because there's only a couple other compelling games here this week. I'm, I'm with you on that. Is there any value to buying the extra half point and taking it from 42 and a half up to 43? It's, it costs a dime. You go from what minus one ten to minus one twenty to buy into your key number of forty three. Usually, I would always say no, but in a game that you might be looking to potentially get off of, let's say it gets down to forty and a half, and then the weather doesn't look quite as bad, and then you want to bet over forty and a half and look for a middle there, then having the forty three becomes of extra value to you, um, and that's really what I would be looking at doing. You you would be taking an. I'm not doing it. Let me just tell you this. I am not doing that. I'm not part of the people that were betting this game under at 45. Um, but if you were looking to do that, absolutely. Like I think that there is a little bit more merit to uh, spending 10 more cents to get under 43, to be sitting on a number that I think is going to be lower than this by 8 p.m. on Monday and potentially through a key number of 41. And then you have options. If you decide that you like the over or you decide you just don't have an opinion at that point in time and you want to bet the over at 40 and a half or 41, you got some opportunity there um, where a game, this game very well easily could land 41, which is a key number or 43, which is a key number. And you've got a no sweat opportunity there. You'll lose You'll lose, uh, you'll push one bet and win the other one. Boom. That's pretty nice. So I can't guarantee anything. It's sports betting. It's a market and we're betting on weather and what the public reacts to it. So all this stuff is conjecture. But from my years of doing this, 
I absolutely believe this total continues to drop, and I believe it drops further when you see the betting public watch TV reports on Monday. Yeah, we needed to go through that that full, deep analysis because it sets us up for with a foundation that we can now refer to. We are going to have this very phenomenon through the month of, of December and on into January. It's cold weather football season, Sharpie. I am here for it. I'm very excited. Now we the have, aesthetics are incredible of of snow football. Yes, the aesthetics of snow football. We had it in the college game. That Michigan Ohio yeah. State was was a thrill. I enjoyed it uh, thoroughly. I didn't really have a rooting interest in it, but seeing the boys run around in the snow is always a top notch experience. Come all right, get me back time. on track. Get me back on track. We've been. I'm working on it. So look, uh, we're in the AFC this week. Um, curiously, I feel like all of the um, marquee games, as it were, land in the AFC and its divisional matchups um, and playoff seeding um, implications. I have the Bengals and the Chargers as the, the sort of the next most interesting game of the week, mainly be, and I have it ahead of, of Baltimore and Pittsburgh just because I have Baltimore and Pittsburgh fatigue. That's really, I'm so tired of, of poor Ben Roethlisberger and watching him um, fall over like a weeble wobble. Uh, I get wait, weeble wobbles <laughs> tilt, but they don't fall down. Whatever it is, um, I'm interested in this Bengals Chargers game mainly because we saw such dramatic outcomes in the two games the teams played the previous week. The Bengals hammered the pants off the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Chargers showed up with a full-on dud against the their their division rival and you know potential playoff competitor in terms of the slots available in the Denver Broncos. And so now feels like an opportunity to take a, a hard look at, at getting on the chargers and, and maybe fading the Bengals. The number is only three. So it's not, you know, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of value. The Bengals are, are at home and the Bengals strength over this, the stretch has been uh, rushing the football. Joe Mixon has scored a touchdown in eight consecutive games, the longest streak for the Bengals uh, since A.J. Green was catching balls for him back in 2012. Uh, Mixon scoring multiple touchdowns in 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 recent uh, memory, four straight games of multiple touchdowns. And, you know, we know about the Chargers being a bad rushing uh, defense. They've allowed a rushing touchdown in seven straight games, the longest active streak in the league. And, uh, over 40% of the yardage allowed by the Chargers has come by rushing the football, the highest rate in the league. So, you know, kind of interesting matchup-wise. It feels like the Bengals are going to be able to assert their will, but we know to be cautious because of the, the position that these teams are coming in on, the Bengals having one huge and the Largers, the Chargers having lost uh, bigly to the, to the Denver's. What are you looking at as, as this game, you know, the kind of the handicapping of this game? This game is really tough for me, primarily because um, I think both of these teams are above average, but you never know which one is going to come in playing well and having a good game plan because I feel like the game plans vary. I've been disappointed in the defense for the Chargers. This is something that Brandon Staley 
must resolve in the offseason. But if he's a defensive-minded head coach, his team cannot be this bad against the run. The Bengals also shifted from the number one most pass-heavy team from weeks five to nine to the number one most, sorry, the number five or six most run-heavy team over the last several games. And they should have success running the football here. This Bengals defense, though, is really going to be tested. They have not played an offense that ranks above average but for the Browns, when the Browns were really beat up and injured uh, with the offensive line and the running backs, et cetera, et cetera, they haven't played an above-average offense since the Packers back in week five, other than that game with the, against the Browns. I mean, they just played uh, two below-average offenses in the Raiders and the Steelers coming out there by, and they blew away both of those teams. Now they're going up against the number two offense in the NFL of the Chargers, which, yes, there's things that they could do to improve their efficiency, uh, but overall, they still are a very good offense. Um, so, and the weather doesn't look particularly bad here. Like, you otherwise might wonder, okay, you got Justin Herbert coming into a cold Midwest game and cold conditions, potential wind, and, you know, this dome team from LA. The weather, I think, is supposed to be up in the 50s maybe here for this game. So I don't think weather is going to be an issue whatsoever. There's a lot of question marks here for me in this game house. This would feel like a game that if you really dug into it, you could find a betting angle. But from my look thus far, I have not found a way to attack this one. I have the Chargers as a potential teaser leg, even though the number is three. So you lose the value on the three. But teasing the Chargers up to nine, the the vast majority of Chargers games have been one score games, and so that's the one sort of angle that I'm that I'm contemplating, and that sort of lines up that that feels like a kind of safe position if you follow the trend of you know teams like like the Bengals coming off a giant victory, only thirteen and fifteen against the spread the next week, um, and that's over the last couple of years here, so. You know, if you want want to do something on this game, my particular my my position on it will would be the Chargers on it as a teaser leg. Yeah, I can't I can't blame you for looking there. Um, they have not really lost games where they've been um, blown out, but for that game last week. So I think that they battle and they're sticking games, and they've got a good enough offense to come from behind if they need to uh, to make the game respectable. And with the run rate that the Bengals have, you know, it does feel like they're not going to have as much. Let's say I don't think that they're going to have as much success pulling away from a team like the Chargers as they did against the Raiders and the Steelers the last two weeks. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to talk about the Steelers and I'm ready to talk about the Baltimore Ravens. I really don't want to, but the Ravens are, I believe, the number one seed in the AFC playoff picture at the moment. We're looking at a team that threw three interceptions in the span of two minutes and 40 seconds in the Baltimore Ravens and didn't give up any points, which feels like a miracle. I, I don't know if there's a name for that. Uh, maybe we should just call it the Lamar. I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't want to he- heap any disrespect on, on Lamar. At least one of those interceptions was, you know, a, a bounced ball up into the air kind of thing. But uh, the Steelers. I will say like this. How's the. There are statistics out there that show when you missed games as a quarterback and you come back from that, your production drops dramatically. And obviously, Lamar was out sick the prior week uh, in the game against Chicago. So thinking that he was going to all of a sudden jump into things and have a really good game is probably unrealistic. But 
that was a horrible game from him. Let's we're not going to paint the picture kindly. It was bad, uh, but it was, you know, just something to note for the future when players miss games due to illness. You 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 need to be cautious of wanting to jump on them, whether it's from a props perspective or betting perspective or betting their over, all those types of things. Uh, their first game back. Yeah, that that that's good guidance, and I wish I'd had it in my back pocket. I mean, that last the game against the Browns was hard to handicap anyway. The Ravens were favored by what did it end up at four and a half, something like that. Was it that high, three and a half, somewhere in that in that range, something over a, a, a field goal, which just felt like a stay away. Anyhow, Baltimore only scored one touchdown and won the game 16 to 10 because the, the Cleveland Browns insist on trotting out a quarterback that is obviously hurt and, you know, um, Im- impaired, you know, and I don't know why they insist they have a perfectly competent backup in Case Keenum. Um, and, you know, th- they have uh, a rushing attack the, that early in the season was the, the, the best rushing attack in the entire NFL. Um, but with no threat whatsoever of, you know, a, a passing game coming out of the Browns, teams have no incentive whatsoever to defend the pass. I want to talk about the Steelers, though. What the hell is going on? They've that defense. They've allowed 41 points in each of the last two games, 903 yards allowed in those two losses. But we have all this contraindication with these divisional matchups. Mike Tomlin is a stud in these divisional matchups. So, you know, all kinds of great um, trend numbers uh, that that apply to Mike Tomlin and to to, uh, your boy Roethlisberger. Um, But that's just because we have a body of work that reflects the Steelers' success over the years. I'm inclined to disregard all of that stuff. Like I, I, I can't keep riding. I've been on the Steelers a little bit and they're so schizophrenic. Uh, they, they just don't feel like they can score enough points to beat anybody. And part of the thing with the Steelers defense, to be fair, is TJ Watt, you know, being in and out of the, of the lineup. And I think he's on the COVID list right now with the possibility of playing Sunday. I don't, I don't know exactly where we are up to the minute right now, but they're, that defense is 21st in yards allowed per pass attempt. They're bad against mobile passers. Uh, but, you know, there, there's, again, the, 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 the trends of the Steelers historically um, being good against the Brown, uh, the Ravens, and historically good in these kinds of situations where they look like underdogs in, in div- important divisional games. So I don't know what, what to do with this game um, other than to hold my nose, I guess. Yeah, it is going to be tough. Uh, we do have a COVID tracker up at sharpfootballanalysis.com and you can find the information there that uh, TJ Watt was added due to a positive test on 11-29, which was this past Monday. And players that get added to the COVID list, I don't think anybody has played the very next week. Nobody, no, nobody that I th- know of this year has played if they were added that same week. So it's unlikely that TJ Watt is going to be there. Um, They're dealing with some other injuries on the defense. It looks like Joe Hayden still is not practicing. I don't know what his current status is going to be uh, for the game, but that's another big loss. And yes, House, I mean, look, the Steelers team, they have only played two top 10 offenses this year. 
And they were smoked in both of those games. The Chargers last week put up 41. And the Packers back in week four only put up 27. The Packers, let's be honest, could have scored a lot more if they really wanted to. But they just kind of took their foot off the gas and were running a lot in that game. The Steelers' defense has not looked very good uh, in general. And playing without T.J. Watt, who's a big part of that defense and, and controlling the edge there against Lamar, is a problem. And I think that that's one of the reasons that you've seen this number. Um, Baltimore on the road opens at three to three and a half points. And now it's up to four and a half. And at some spots, I even see five on the road. I mean, this number is getting a tad ridiculous for a team. This is not like the Steelers' backup quarterback, not that there's that much of a difference between the way Big Ben is playing right now and a backup. But the fact remains, Baltimore favored by this many points on the road in Pittsburgh when they've been playing like they have, which keep in mind, you have to go back to week six to find a game that Baltimore has actually really looked good, right? Like they they got destroyed by the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. They lost to the Minnesota Vikings. They got destroyed by the Miami Dolphins. And they barely beat the Chicago Bears. And they barely beat the Cleveland Browns the last two weeks. Now, obviously, Lamar wasn't there for the game against the Bears and wasn't still maybe not healthy in his first game back against the Browns. This game is perfect for the AFC North playing it outdoors in in early December. It's gross. It epitomizes <laughs> the rest of the card this week, which in my opinion is good luck. Uh, I'm keeping my bankroll close to me. I'm going to find a few spots to invest in. I'm not going on as many bets this week uh, because I don't think that there's as much known about some of these games. And I don't quite get this line ballooning out to the Ravens by this many points because I would not think that this line would get as high as it has. I thought four might be the apex and it's gone through the four and now up to five. You know, where where does this thing end? At some point, I feel like it's got to come back, but I'm surprised it hasn't yet. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised you forgot that uh, Baltimore actually beat the Vikings. It was in overtime. Uh, the Vikings, yes. you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Another one of those games where the Vikings were up two scores and, and Baltimore um, pulled something out of their rear ends the the I don't want to belabor it the the um Steelers def, uh, offense has been atrocious and I I blame the offense for the struggles of the defense to be honest I mean I didn't do the play by play the comparison of number of plays on defense versus offense it was stark this most recent um uh, Monday night football game when Washington football team handled its business against the Seattle Sea Chumps um but I feel like that this this uh Pittsburgh team is is tracking in that that same direction. They keep insisting on run, running Najee Harris, and, and I mean he had eleven rush, rushes for I think twenty three yards, and they're like, oh, let's throw him the ball. So he, they threw him the ball three times for fourteen yards. They just they just can't do anything, and you know it feels like we might finally be at that passing of the guard moment with with Pittsburgh. I can't wait to see what they do about the quarterback position next season, but there's no chance that we, we, we're going to see Ben Roethlisberger back there again. Are, are we? Is there any chance? No. No. <laughs> well, let's move on because neither one of us want to have anything to do with betting uh, on this football game. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes 
you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. I have a couple of games that I really like. And I, I mentioned earlier on here that I am a hard knocks, Frank Reich, Indianapolis Colts, Deep, deep, deep. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, like all these guys, uh, D- Darius Leonard. I, I feel like they're they're now. Um, I just admire them so much. I want to be friends with all of them. So look, the the Colts, I believe, are the kind of organization they've made me a, a believer. They are. There's no letdown whatsoever in this Houston game. It's a division game for them. They know exactly where they stand. Uh, position-wise, in terms of of, of playoff uh, standing, and they have to win every game through the balance of December. This is a very winnable game. I expect them to come out, handle their business, and 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 beat Houston's ass. I like them covering the ten points. I might even um, sprinkle a little. The total is forty-five and a half. My you know my my thesis would be you know Jonathan Taylor with another four touchdowns and Indianapolis scoring you know. 38 points all, all, all on their own uh, and Houston getting 10 and, and then we get the uh, the over as well. Um, but th- I'm just very, very bullish on this Colts team. Is there any reason for you to throw cold water on me? No, there's not. I will tell you this, just looked it up. Now, some of these trends, you know, I'm not, I rarely cite trends on here. I'm not really a trend better, uh, but some of these things are interesting to just be aware of. Uh, Frank Reich obviously has not been the coach of the Indianapolis Colts since 2013. So, and nor has Carson Wentz been the quarterback. So most of this is irrelevant, but just to, just to mention it in passing that the Colts since 2013, their last game before their buy, which is this game right here, they still haven't had a buy. So they're in the last game before a buy. This team is seven and one straight up seven and one ATS and six and two to the over in their games before the bye week. Um, so Frank Reich has these guys playing pretty well. Um, last year, they beat the Bengals uh, with him in charge back in 2019. You may remember they upset the Chiefs in Arrowhead 19-13 to with Frank Reich in charge. Um, they also blew out the Raiders 42-28 to his first year there uh, in 2018. So he's done pretty well heading into a bye. And you know this Houston Texans team, I don't really know uh, this team has played three bad offenses prior to this game. They played the uh, Miami Dolphins. Then they came out of their bye and played the Tennessee Titans. And then they came out uh, and played the Jets last week. They've only beaten one of those 
three, and those offenses all rank bottom 10 in the league. Uh, and now they have to go up against finally in another really good offense. The last time they played really good offenses were was back in week seven and eight, where they lost um, 31 to five to the Cardinals and 38 to 22 to the Rams. That game should have even been more lopsided. Now those were without Tyrod Taylor, uh, but I tend to agree that you know, if you you could argue that if Carson doesn't throw those couple interceptions, uh, have those turnovers, that the Colts obviously should have won that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, the weakness of this Houston Texans team, guess what it is, House? It's their rushing run defense. defense. That's they right. They rank 25th in the NFL against the run. They're good against the pass. They're bad against the run. This is the uh, Folsom Prison middle finger from Frank Reich. <laughs> Uh, to all of the critics of his play calling. Well, and and look, Indy already beat this this team's pants off, thirty-one to three, week week six, and and Jonathan Taylor, five carries or ten or more yards, one hundred and thirty yards. Right? I mean, just just give me the Colts all day long and twice on Tuesday. This one's going to be wonderful. Let's let's plow into it a little bit with the Frank Reich, Folsom County. <laughs> that's it's so good. That's it's going to be uh, a wonderful one now. We have to be careful because uh, all of the trends all season long have been, um, you know, cautioning us against favorites. But this is one where we're playing a favorite. Uh, I have mentioned my favorite horny dog game of the week, and we touched on some of the underlying situational uh, aspects of this game. That is the Denver Broncos catching nine and a half. At Kansas City, I think the total is at 47 and a half. The Broncos on a little bit of a roll. They've won three of their last four games. Their, their, their one loss was to Philadelphia, who um, kind of were, were you know re-engineering and renovating their offense. They rushed for 216 yards and whooped the Broncos' ass in, in Denver. Um, but uh, this is a situation with a lot of things that favor... The, the the Broncos, the we have Teddy Bridgewater, the ultimate road dog, 19 and three against the spread as a road dog out there. We have um, Kansas City being very bad against the spread when the spread is uh, two scores, uh, anything over seven points. And we um, have kind of a nice situational matchup here where it's it's inside the division and and. Denver plays the Chiefs tough. We just remind ourselves of, of last year. Kansas City was on an enormous win streak last season. They played at exactly this point in the season, and the Chiefs were able to beat the Broncos, but it was 22-16. to 16. I expect a very similar kind of repeat situation here. And, and you know, I think the, the uh, Broncos are going to stay in there. I, I like the under here, and I like Denver catching the 9.5. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that, really. Um, my stronger take was on the under, um, which I did take and bet and give out to clients, and that was way earlier this week. Um, sometimes we're betting games really early uh, in the week, and we bet this one was still 49 and a half and also took a little bit of 49 there and, and helped drive this down to 47, where it is at a lot of spots. So there is still a little bit of 47 and a half, and I will say this, unless other groups who some did get involved and tailed us and took some secondary numbers of, of, of 48 and kept betting it under. Um, 
unless they continue to pile onto this game, you may have some of the betting public come in and bet this thing over on a Sunday night game after all the 1 and 4 p.m. games have ended. And so you could get another 48. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world to see that. And so you might want to wait if you didn't get the, if your book is at 47 right now and you didn't get a better number, you might want to wait. Who knows? You could get um, something a little bit better than 47, but that remains to be seen. Last year, the two biggest themes for me, well, first of all, before I get into last year when these two teams played, I just got to mention, you are looking at Chiefs off of bye, which means what we talked up at the top of the show, which was teams off of a bye tend to do a little bit worse against the spread and a little bit worse from an over-under perspective. Then you get to what we talked about shortly thereafter, which was Andy Reid off of a bye and how his games actually haven't been quite as impressive as the big narrative might lead you to believe. And a lot of these games end up going under as well. So that is kind of in the background of this, uh, these trends, so to speak. Last year, two main takeaways from the games. Massive turnover problems for the Denver Broncos, and Patrick Mahomes was absolutely atrocious on the key downs of third and fourth down. So Denver was minus five in turnover margin in those two losses. Um, That season, they were horrific. That was Drew Locke's season. They led the NFL in turnovers in 2020 with 32. They had the worst turnover differential in the NFL, minus 16. So it shouldn't shock us that they were minus five in turnover margin in those two losses. However, this season, they only have 12 turnovers. That's the fifth lowest of any team in the NFL. They're plus one in turnover differential, which is above average. The Chiefs are the team with the turnover problem house. The Chiefs are the team that have 22 turnovers so far this year. Only the Jets have more turnovers than the Chiefs this year. They're negative seven in turnover differential, which is third worst in the NFL, ahead of only the Jets and the Jaguars. So that bodes better for Denver. It bodes better for the under because a lot of those turnovers resulted in points. I think there was a pick six. There was good field position setting up scores for the Denver, for the Kansas City Chiefs in that game last year. We might not get that with Teddy Bridgewater this year at quarterback. The other thing is this poor performance from Patrick Mahomes. The last two games that the Kansas City Chiefs have played, you could say, oh, they've improved. They look a little bit better offensively. I know they didn't score a lot last game against the Dallas Cowboys, but their offense looked a little bit better. They played two straight games against teams that tend to run more of the cover three stuff. Both of those D coordinators are from Roots in Seattle. You know, Dan Quinn and and uh, the week before that, those are coordinators that like to run more cover three. Now you're going up against the defense that all the other defenses tried to copy to play the Chiefs this year. Now you're going up against the godfather, Vic Fangio, who plays this cover two shell and has gotten Patrick Mahomes to play poorly in general against him for several years. Uh, Patrick Mahomes in general, I think last year he threw only one touchdown in each of those games against the Denver Broncos. Um, And he seems to be struggling more against that cover two stuff this year than even in the past. So it's going to be interesting as they play this year. But if you look at last year's games against the Chiefs, uh, against the Broncos, Patrick Mahomes on third or fourth down was minus 0.71 EPA per attempt on third, fourth downs. He averaged only 2.6 yards per attempt 
on third, fourth downs. And he converted only 17% of his pass attempts into first downs on third or fourth downs. The last two years combined, he's only converted 36% conversions on third, fourth down against Vic Fangio's defense. He's, he's upwards of upper 40s against all the other teams in the NFL. So um, Vic Fangio has done a number on these guys. I just think that this game plays really well to the under because I don't think that Denver's offense is really going to do a lot here either. I mean, Sp- Steve Spagnola, we talk a lot about Andy Reid and the offense not looking great. This defense secretly house has been coming along. Steve Spagnuolo's defense has been incredible over the last month. No team has scored over 17 points against this team. And they've done really well against Denver. Denver, these games have gone five and one to the under. Broncos versus Chiefs over the last three seasons. And Denver has scored less than their projected point total in five of those six games. They're averaging just 14 and a half points per game the last six games against the Chiefs and the last four games against the Chiefs, they're scoring only 10 points per game. So you could get, uh, you know, sports betting is not guaranteed. You could get a game here where we see this game go over the total, but I tend to think that that's going to be unlikely. And I really do like the under in this game. So if the under is now in that 47 and a half or even down to 47, is there any value left in the under at those numbers? By my model, actually, House, there still is a little bit of value left on this total, even if you can get it at 47 and a half. Um, the other option is just to take the first half under at 23 and a half. There's a variety of different ways to look to attack this game, but I do believe the betting public will be looking to bet the over here. So it's difficult to suggest when, if you haven't gotten involved in this one, you should get involved. But let me just put it this way. Maybe you throw half your bet of whatever you would want to bet on under 47 and a half. And you hope maybe it goes back up to 48 and then you throw the rest of it on at 48. If it doesn't, maybe you dabble in first half under 23 and a half and you have a little bit, you have your bet split first half under 23 and a half and full game under 47 and a half. Okay. I, I, I like it. There's a bunch of different angles there. Uh, is there any reason to to not feel um, ambitious with uh, that's the word I'm going to use with Denver catching the nine and a half? Any reason to tap the brakes on that? Other than the fact that I think Spagnolo is going to really limit these guys, I do think that they're going to be able to run the ball. It's going to come down to can they convert on third down because when you run the ball more on early downs, inevitably you end up facing more third down situations because you're just not bypassing them quite as much as if you were passing at a higher rate on early downs. You also have Teddy with his like leg bruise or something like that. So he's certainly not um, 100% at the moment. But if they can convert some of these third downs and, and maybe score 50% of the time when they're in the red zone, they don't need to score 60, 75% of the time when they were in the red zone. If they make, you know, three trips, they don't, they don't have to score on two of the three. If they make uh, four trips, they don't have to score on three out of the four. But um, I'd be hopeful that they're close to around 50% in the red zone. And if they can be, I do think Denver will be able to cover this game. I mean, this is a pretty high number for a Chiefs team. If I'm looking back at their uh, numbers, this is a Chiefs team that I believe has scored over 20 points one time in the last five weeks. I I, I don't, I, I mean, that just is hard to fathom. I'm going to double check that because I think that that's what I've got in my notes here from 
researching this game earlier. Let me pull this up here momentarily. Kansas City, 19 against the Cowboys prior to their bye, 41 against the Raiders, 13 against the Packers, 20 against the Giants, and and three against the Titans. So that does check out. This team has only scored over 20 points once in their last five games. Pretty unbelievable to think about that in the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid era house. That's exactly right. Really unbelievable to think about. Uh, equally unbelievable. I'm still playing exotic Sharpie. Will, will you indulge me? Will I want to hear me? what you're on. Yes, let's go. <laughs> now, this is a this was a hard card, uh, but I feel like we are firmly in taking care of business time. So the first thing we're going to pull together is a little money line parlay. We're going to call it the taking care of business money line parlay. These are all teams that are uh, either fighting for their playoff lives or have you know vital playoff implications associated with the outcomes of, of these games. I'm, pu- I'm putting together four teams. Tampa Bay, absolutely prepared to take care of business at Atlanta. Tampa Bay owns Atlanta. Tom Brady is not going to permit um, the Buccaneers in a flat spot. Tampa and Atlanta have, over the last handful of years, had kind of close games through a couple quarters or maybe even three quarters, and then Tampa slams it on at the end. I expect the same thing, and all I'm asking Tampa do, to do is win this game. They are, if they continue to, to win and can win out, it's going to be them or Green Bay in the number one slot uh, for the NFC Conference, and one of those two teams is going to get a bye week, and I bet Tom Brady would love to have a bye week. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts are at Houston. We've covered that one already. I think they're prepared to take care of business. The Los Angeles Rams off of three straight losses and a beautiful Ben Solak uh, rant against their defense on uh, the Wednesday cheat code show in an absolutely must get healthy, must get right, uh, going to go ahead and just take care of business against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're, they're at home. And then this one is a stretch, and I understand... Um, that I have a little bit of, of recency bias here. This is the stretch of it. San Francisco 49ers at Seattle. The money line there is minus 170. I wanted to put this in because I want, you know, I had a goal of getting to, to reasonable plus odds on the parlay. There are a bunch of trends that favor Seattle here. Um, Shanahan as a favorite, uh, San Francisco against Seattle. Seattle already beat them this year. Um, there's just a bunch of, of, historical uh, angles you can look at that say Seattle is in a prime position, especially coming off of three straight losses here. I can't, could not and still cannot, um, could not and cannot believe my eyes when it comes to Russell Wilson throwing the football. His hand, Warren Sharp, is fucked up. He looked absolutely terrible for, you know, uh, three quarters and... 13 minutes against the Washington football team uh, on Monday night. The decision-making, you know, there's a knock-on effect apparently between the lack of confidence he has in his hand strength and his own decision-making. He missed guys, and you were posting tweets on it during the game, wide open in the middle of the field and instead efforting to get the ball down the field, forcing it uh, to DK Metcalf, double covered on the sideline. He could barely get the ball there. I just... Could not believe my eyes. It, it felt like somebody invaded the Russell Wilson uh, uh, uniform and and ran out there. I mean, it was like uh, who's the poor Nathan Peterson put on the Russell Peterman. Wilson uh, 
Peterman, same difference. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> it was out there. Uh, so, so of these four games, I am countenancing the fact that that the 49ers are uh, vulnerable. And Debo Samuels, uh, it, I think he's out. And Fred, is his name Warner? Warren, he's out as well. Um, so I understand that, you know, what, what I'm kind of up against, but the, the Niners are six and five. They're in the playoffs right now. They can't really afford to lose many games because the NFC across the board has a bunch of teams hovering around five and six, six and five. So I just think, you know, San Francisco in this position, they're ready to take care of business. Yeah. It's a tough game, obviously, because it's, it's the lowest spread. You're paying the less least for it. Um, I don't hate it. I have not bet this game in any way, shape, or form. Um, you really just have to factor in what is the loss of Debo Samuel with the fact that Russ historically has had success against this defense and what the current form is of Russ and the Seahawks offense right now. Like Russ's effort level, does he want to be there? Is he trying his best? I mean, some of these guys, it wasn't even a question of, could he get the ball to them? It's that he's not even seeing them. It's like he's not even right. It's like it's like his, I don't know, his familiarity in the pocket is not quite there from missing some time. I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but um he hasn't looked very good. So I have no real take on this game. I don't hate the fact that you would want to be laying the 49ers here. Uh it is something that your instincts would pull you towards. So you know, to 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 get to add this to increase your juice here on your plus money parlay bet is not the worst thing in the world. I would, you know, potentially look to add some type of a dog to spice things up a little bit. Um, if you want. I mean, where did you net out on the Patriots game? I am uh probably I don't really love a side there. Um because of of you know all of the competing factors that that we went through and that you and Solak went through, um, you know you could put a parlay of the under. You could include the under since that is something that we have a little conviction on. Honestly, the under that I like better is the under we just talked about, which is the Chiefs Broncos under. Um, even at forty seven, you could throw that into this 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 uh, parlay as well. Yeah, and look, I mean, if if you're talking about doing a money line parlay, to me. Um, Unless you're correlating something, which you're not, you're just parlaying separate games together just to try to increase your payout, I would be putting my strongest stuff in there, like the things that I think would hit the most. And I could tell you that from a totals perspective, I do feel like that that is the strongest total on the board. And that would obviously increase your payout tremendously. Um, You may want to double this one up, do this one for you, and then take out the 49ers and stick that one in and and and, and do that one as as uh the sharp tweak and have both of them rolling and hopefully you can cash them both. Ooh. The sharp tweak exotic. This now we're <laughs> we're talking. Week 13 is getting sexy. We're we're in the, the the sexy December portion of the season, Sharpie. All right, uh, one one sexy five-leg teaser here. Only a handful of teaser candidates on on the card. For some reason what I built here is all road teams. Uh, although there is still, you know, the, the continuing trend this season of road teams against the spread has been incredible. I have the number somewhere up here at the top of the notes. Look at this. Home teams against the spread, 77, 101, and 1, which is on pace to be the worst against the spread mark in the Super Bowl era. 
So how about a teaser that takes all the road teams? I tease the Vikings from seven down to one at Detroit. Uh, I tease the Cardinals from seven and a half down to one and a half at Chicago. Cardinals coming off a bye week, so some bye week variance risk there. I tease the Eagles from seven down to one against the Jets. I have the Chargers teasing from three up to nine at the Bengals, and we covered that one. And then I tease the Patriots. The Patriots feel like the most logical teaser leg of the entire week from two and a half up to eight and a half. That, uh, when we play a five-leg teaser, we, it pays out at plus uh, 450 if you play a, a full unit. Um, wh- wh- which of those do you feel like has the, the real risk associated with it? Well, probably the Vikings and probably the Eagles. Like I think the Eagles will go in and stomp these guys. I do truly believe that. And um, after that loss last week, which I mean, that game's neck and neck, and you take away the three turnovers by Jalen Hurts, like the there's very likely chance that the Eagles are walking out of that game with a win. They're going back to the exact same stadium against a team now that they should be able to run the ball or pass the ball against with ease. I mean, anything that you dial up against this defense, I think should work. That being said, I think Kelsey is a little bit banged up. He's their starting center. That would be a big loss if were he to miss. You have question marks surrounding Jalen Hurts as well and his availability, though he's been practicing. I don't think he's been practicing a full yet so far this week. Um, and then the Vikings, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a team that should be able to beat the Detroit Lions, particularly when they're without Swift at running back. But uh, you you never really know with the Vikings. This is not a team that's dependable whatsoever. So that's one that uh, that concerns me a little bit. A teaser that I think has value would be the Colts. I mean, again, we're talking about the strongest stuff. Put them in the teaser. The problem is um, you're not getting them down unless you use a six and a half point teaser. Uh, you're not getting them down to the three even, you know, forget going through the three. You can take them from nine and a half down to three if you use the six and a half point teaser. And some books are at nine and a half, but we just have to see where that one trends to. But I think the Colts on a teaser, if you can get it down to at least the three is probably one of the stronger teaser legs of the week in terms of just the likelihood that this team is going to be able to get home for you. So you can just pay a little extra. You can't build um, a six-point teaser and get those odds that we just talked about. No. But we, you can may- maybe take some of those um, same angles and build uh, you know, the, the, the seven-point teaser. Is that what you're saying? Six and a half or seven. It all depends yeah. uh, how the rest of the games fall on what you're, what you're looking to do here. Uh, but either way, I think getting the Colts in there, if you can get them down to at least the three, offers some value. I love it. I love it when you give me this good guidance. I will tell you, I already, while we were, uh, you know, broadcasting here and I was listening to your, your guidance, I altered that money line parlay. So we have three money lines and an under. How about that? Tampa, Indianapolis, and the Rams on the money line and the Chiefs, uh, Broncos under 47. That pays out at plus 217. So we really took a little, added a little juice there. And, and I like what you're recommending. I think it's going to be a six and a half or seven point teaser that I'm going to have to add to the card. Now I have four exotics. It went from two exotics to four exotics. The December sexy is coming. You're bringing it, Warren Sharp. How about it? I, I love it. I hate this card, though. Let me just go on record. I think this <laughs> card is the grossest one. I'm not seeing a lot of value there, but that happens sometimes. And and I think next week we're going to hopefully have some more 
opportunities to attack. Yes, let's do it. All right, that'll do it. Thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back on Monday with Chris Vernon to go over everything from this weekend's games and try to make sense of it, this disgusting card house. Thank you for joining me, though, and thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. We will see you guys on Monday. Good luck this weekend. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.